Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all up in the balcony. Glad you're here. Thanks for clapping. You're always clapping. You're awesome. Um, welcome to Northridge. If you're new here, we are um, at kind of toward the tail end of a series that we're doing this summer, all summer long, where each one of us that march up on this platform share a simple nugget or a truth that has been unforgettable in our lives, something that's shaped us in some way that's forever changed the course of our life. And so I'm going to do the same this morning. I was with you a few weeks back, and I shared one, and I'm going to share a new one today that is very, very simple. In fact, I'm certain it's not something you've never thought of, but it's something I think we need to revisit every life station we go through um, as we age. Um, I need to begin with a confession, (laughs) which shouldn't surprise you. Um, I absolutely hate delays. Anybody here join me on that? You just don't like to be delayed? Thank you. I feel like I'm in the majority now. I'm not proud of it. In fact, I know that as I age and mature, I should become more Christ-like, not less. But I just find myself wanting people to fulfill what they said they would do, you know? And if they say it's this time, do it this time. And so... um, I travel quite a bit. In fact, when I'm not with you, I'm doing about 125 events, conferences every year. And so I'm on 250 planes every year. And I would say about half the time, the flight that I'm about to get on is delayed. It just happens. This is not a cut down to any one airline. Sometimes it's a legitimate reason. It's equipment or weather. But I find myself delayed all the time. In fact, I flew up here to be with you this weekend. My flight was delayed yesterday. Um, But a few weeks ago... It was the consummate illustration of what I don't do well. I went to gate B-23 in Atlanta, Georgia. I was supposed to fly to Oklahoma City. It was all on paper, and it was going to work. I got up to the gate, though, and the sign above the gate, B-23, said, flight delayed. Well, I've read these words before, so I went up to the gate agent, and, and as politely and smilingly as I could, I said, how long do you expect this delay to be? She said, It'll just be a few minutes. I thought, well, good. That's not bad. I'll still be able to make my connections and do the event I'm supposed to do. This will be great. So I sat down and busied myself for 30 minutes. I went up to the gate agent again, tried to smile. I'm trying to smile now. And I said, you mentioned to me it would just be a few minutes about a half hour ago. Is it really going to be just a few minutes? And she said, well, it's in the air. And that was a good sign. So she, you know, the flight that you're going to be, the inbound flight is in the air. So we anticipate it being just a few more minutes. She said it again. So I naively sat down and busied myself with my smartphone. About 25 minutes later, I'm now reaching the edge of my rope. And so I walk up again and I say, should I make other plans I mean, should I just find another airline, another flight, or whatever? Just, just let me know. And you, she goes, well, the flight has, has landed. I mean, the inbound flight has landed here. And I thought, okay, now that is a few minutes. I mean, after all, how much can there be from the landing to the taxing to the gate? I mean, it's probably just going to be a few more minutes. I'm telling you, 35 to 40 minutes later, I'm still in this gate. And I finally walked up to the gate agent, and I've, I just said, what's going on? She said, It's just going to be, she said it again, it's just going to be a few more minutes. Sound like my father on a road trip growing up, you know? So I sat down, and no sooner did I sit down, I I mean, it was a few minutes later, she got on the intercom and she said, ladies and gentlemen, the flight's been canceled. 
thank you for feeling. That's exactly what we did in the gate right there. We all moaned and groaned. I'm thinking to myself, how can this happen? From the landing to the taxiing, the plane must have dropped into a black hole or something, but it's, it's now missing. And all of us scrambled to try to find somewhere else to go and some other way to get to Oklahoma City. But here's the point I made. All of us were thinking deep down in our heart of hearts, why didn't you just tell us earlier? Come on, isn't this true? I'm a big boy. I got three digits in my IQ. I can handle this. Just tell me up front. You're not going to fly. We're not going to get on the plane. I think I know why. Quite frankly, of course, they may not have known. I mean, maybe they're just telling us what the supervisor said. It's going to be a few more minutes. But I think sometimes this must be going on. That they're thinking it's probably easier to take a cancellation if they keep saying delay, delay, delay. I mean, you're almost bracing yourself for something worse when you get bad news in little increments. You know what I'm talking about? So maybe they're just kind of stringing us along. And maybe, it's, maybe, it was, maybe they knew it's never going to happen, but we'll just say it's going to be four more minutes. In fact, it reminds me of a great story. I haven't thought about this story in years. It's a story about the guy that was going to take a trip, a week-long trip. And so he asked his friend to, while he was gone for that week, to watch his aging mother to take care of her and to care for her cat. Well, the guy was gone for a week, and when he returned, he asked his friend how things had gone. The man just blurted out, the cat's dead. He said, the cat's dead? What are you, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, first day, the cat just died. And the man was reeling in shock, but he said, well, before I ask you all about what happened, can I just give you some advice? If you ever have to break bad news like that, kind of drip it in doses. I mean, just give us a little bit of time. You, like you could have emailed me the second day and said, the cat's on the roof. You know, and maybe then by the second day, you could have said the cat's fallen off the roof. And then maybe the third day, you could say the cat's in the hospital. He's not doing well. And then maybe by day four, you could have said, me the cat's died. And I would have been braced. I would have been braced emotionally and mentally for that news. The guy goes, you know what? That makes sense. I'm so sorry. It'll never happen again. The other guy said, well, no worries. How's my mother? The man said, she's on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Not a true story. But, but there, I think there's a kernel of truth in, in, in that little story and really in my story about my flight delay. Regardless of how well we lay our plans, and some of you are good planners, delays happen. In fact, things that we didn't plan happen to us. In fact, none of us in this room could stand up here on this platform and say, my life has gone exactly as I planned. Some of you have gotten close, but am I not right? None of it's gone exactly like we thought. Because in our naivety, in our innocence as young people, we started laying plans that were probably idealistic, maybe too idealistic. And I'm not going to suggest this morning you should give up on your dreams, far, far from that. But I'm saying somehow along the way, we, we put these pictures in our mind. In fact, expectations are simply pictures of what should happen. And we carry them with us. The problem is we don't do so well when our expectations are not met. Or maybe I should say I don't do so well. I don't like delays. I don't like changes. I want things to go like I planned. I want people to all, you know, just do what I tell them to do. You know, you know the drill. You want things to go right, and they don't go right. In fact, most of the time... Change happens, delays occur, disappointments have to be managed. And so right at the onset, I'd like to just ask, I'd like to just lob a question out there to you. How well do you manage disappointment, expectation, 
change, things that don't go the way you wanted them to go. All of you know that over the last six or seven years, maybe 10 years, life in America has changed. And one of the changes has been the whole world of dating. You know, don't you, that a larger and larger percentage, a growing, a growing percentage of people that are finding their marriage partner are meeting online. You know this, don't you? It's amazing. It's a, it's a growing number. And the good news and bad news about dating and meeting people online is at once you can wade through all the people that are no's and get to the yeses, you know, the ones that actually fit, and you can start dating, you know, in the field. But the bad news is when you date online, there's all kinds of unrealistic and unmet and sometimes unspoken expectations. Would you agree? Even if you've only read about this, you can imagine. You can be whoever you want to be online. A television show called Catfish aired a, an interview with a guy named Jared who was meeting up with a girl named Abigail online. Instead of telling you about it, I want you to watch the screens. Let's watch how Jared faces his, his expectations about meeting Abby online. Hello, Neve. My name is Jared, and I need your help. Ready not, here I come. I grew up in a small town outside of Albany, Georgia, that you've probably never heard of. Do I sound ready? I was never much of a ladies' man in high school. I had pretty much thrown in the towel on the concept of dating until I met Abby online. At the time, she had video chat capability. I did not. Fast forward to now, and I have video chat capability, and she does not. Short of photos and phone conversations, I have not actually seen her or talked to her in person, and it is my dream to do so. You've been through this, so I'd love to have you with me if I go to meet her. Please help me meet her face to face. That would be the greatest gift I could ever receive. Is it this one or this one? You take the left, I'll take the right. I think it's this one. Jared. Hey, man. How you doing? Doing good. How you doing? Great. Max, Jared. Hey, Jared. How you doing? Nice to meet you. Jared, crew, TV making crew. All right. Just so you can see, like, how long we've been talking. And it just goes up, you know. Wow. I see a lot of I love yous. I see a lot of I miss yous. Yeah. You guys call each other baby. Look, I love you so much. Baby, you're completely amazing. Will you marry me? Yeah. It got intense, man. Like, it seriously did. Why hasn't she uh, come to visit you? When I was living in Cordial, she said, I'm coming to Cordial. And the day she was supposed to leave, she called me and said, something came up with my family, and I've got to go to Mississippi tonight. I didn't know what to think. And it always seems like there's something. Right. I hope that, you know, if I were to meet her, she'd be, that would be her right there. And all the conversations we had, everything would have been legit. But I have no idea. I mean, all I want to know is, is this real, you know? Okay, so you see what's happening. Jared now has fallen in love with Abigail. And it looks like Abigail's fallen in love with Jared. But they've only met online. So expectations are real, but they've been built off the virtual. Right? And expectations are very challenging to manage once they're at a certain level. I want you to watch the next clip now when Jared actually meets Abigail. And, well, let's just see how it turned out. Oh, here we go. Here it is, here it is, here it is. 
How you doing, man? You ready? I'm as ready as I want to be. Whatever goes down, we're here for you. I mean, I know I'm not, you know, Barbie or, you know, anything like that. And I have a lot of explaining to do, I suppose. Okay. I'm Melissa. I'm Jared. Um, pretty much all of it was, you know, me. Just not me. You, you know what I mean? All, everything. All the emotions, you know. Just a different face, I suppose, you know. Yeah. I really don't even know what to say right now. <laughs> Who's the girl in the pictures that you were using? Anybody that you know? No. This is a random person. Yeah, pretty much. Like, that's the crazy thing about the internet. You can be whoever you want to be. I've gotten to know you so much. At the same time, I have no idea who you are. It's one of those things where I feel like I just got pranked. Okay, so did you see Jared's face? I'm not some psychologist here, but... Jared can't even give her eye contact. And do you know why he can't? He's trying to manage his expectations. He was expecting something that wasn't there. And by the way, there was nothing, I think, essentially wrong with the girl he, he, he met, but she just wasn't what he expected. Which brings me to the point that I want to share with you. My unforgettable little nugget, as simple as it sounds, is this. When it comes to our happiness, life is pretty much about managing expectations. Can I say it again? When it comes to our happiness in life, it's pretty much about managing our expectations. You see, you and I both know that as we sit here today in padded chairs and a big auditorium with central heating and air conditioning, there are people living in impoverished nations on $1 a day. That's how much they make. And they're just as happy as we are. I'm right about that, aren't I? They're just as happy as people living in Plymouth, Michigan, or La Jolla, California, or Plano, Texas. And you know why they are? They don't expect to drive an SUV to church. It's all about expectations. And I'm not saying now the whole goal of today is just lower your expectations. I'm saying it's managing them. Because we need expectations for our hopes and dreams, for goals to shoot for. Goals essentially require expectations. Otherwise, it's not a goal. It's a, it's a wish. But at the same time, when you set them so, so different than what they ought to be, you're bound for disappointment and maybe disillusionment, maybe even depression. So what I'd like to do this morning with you is I'd like to look at a couple of passages of Scripture that will give us two pictures of what 
what God wants to say to us about these expectations. So if you brought your Bible, I want you to grab them. We're going to look at the New Testament first. In fact, if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to read verses 1 through 15. And then uh, we're going to look at the Old Testament for a story there as well. Matthew chapter 20. This is a story that Jesus tells to his followers at the time. And he really makes a couple of points, but let's just read it together on the screen. Matthew 20, start reading with, start with verse, verse 1. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. And he sent them into the vineyard. And about the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also can go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. And he went out again about the sixth hour and about the ninth hour and did the same thing. And then at about the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers in and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then going to the first. And the workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. Recognize that term? And so when those who came, who were hired first, they expected, notice the word, they expected, I repeat, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Do I, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Now you all, if you've read that little story before, know that it's a picture of grace, isn't it? Jesus was saying we need to look at what the owner's doing, not what the workers are doing. What God is doing, as he gives us the gift of eternal life, the same gift is given to those of us who come to Christ early in our life, at eight years old, same is given to the person who comes to Christ when they're 80 years old. Amen? True? But there's a subtext in here, and I underscored it when I read the passage to you. The workers who were hired first, when they saw what others were getting, the moment they started comparing, oh boy, it's trouble. And they're expecting something different. Something different than what they even agreed to with the landowner. And now they're troubled and they're grumbling and they're angry and they're frustrated and, and they take it out on the landowner. And the landowner, quite frankly, says, can't I do what I want? And are you getting all ticked off because I was generous with someone else? You see, this is really about the expectations of the workers, isn't it? Certainly the guys that are hard last are loving life. I mean, they got the same pay as anybody else. But the point was, the ones who are grumbling, the ones who are really struggling at the end of the day, they're struggling because of unmet and unspoken expectations. 
They wanted something more. They never said that. They never re-anted up. They never uh, signed a new agreement. But there was unmet and unspoken expectations, which really leads to most of our problems in life. Consider this. I think most of our problems in life have something to do with unspoken and unmet expectations. Which is why I said at the very beginning, when it comes to our happiness, life is pretty much about managing our expectations. And by the way, not just our expectations, it's the management of all expectations. You do know, don't you, all your life growing up, even to this point, you've been a responder to the expectations others have of you. Going to school growing up, you tended to respond to the teachers and coaches who led you. If they had low expectations, you probably came in low, unless you were a rare exception. If they had high expectations, you probably responded high. In fact, Dr. Wayne Dyer writes recently about an accidental experiment that was performed during the 1960s. Listen to this. It's very intriguing. He says a teacher back in the 1960s was given a roster showing the actual aptitude test scores, the IQ test scores of the students in one of her classes. And then for another class, a roster in which the IQ column had been mistakenly filled in with the students' locker numbers. Just think about that. Locker 135, locker 102, locker... You get it. You get the point. The teacher assumed that the locker numbers were the actual IQs of her students when posted at the beginning of the semester. After a year, it was discovered that in the first class, the students with the high actual IQs had performed better than those with the low ones. That's predictable. But in the second class, the students with the higher locker numbers scored significantly higher than those with the lower locker numbers. Is that not intriguing? I think it's just a simple, simple picture, just cutting away the fat of how much we respond to expectations. We're aware of the pictures others have of us, and we're aware of the pictures that we hold inside of how life should be. And all of those pictures dictate our happiness. Now, they don't have to. We can manage them well, but right now, basically, that's what happens. And by the way, many of you have learned to put this to good use. In fact, one of my favorite letters ever written was written by a college freshman who knew she could, she could leverage expectations to her advantage after her spring semester's freshman year. I've read this letter to you before, but it was years ago, and I just can't help but think it's a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. This was a letter written by a girl in college to her mom and dad, spring semester, first year at the university. Dear mom and dad, I don't want you to worry about the fact that I was in a minor car accident a few weeks ago. It's left my right leg and arm in a cast, but I'm okay. We weren't able to salvage the car. Sorry about that. In the process, I met this great young doctor who's been treating me. He's very nice. Everything seems fine now since the treatment of my arm and leg has taken all of my money. He offered me to come and live with him. I thought you wouldn't mind. Don't worry, it's all okay because he left his second wife over a year ago. However, he does plan to leave his practice since treating my condition has taken up nearly all of his time. This may mean we have to move to another part of town. This doesn't concern us, though, as long as we're together. We're just hoping our blood tests are more positive the second time around. They said something about a disease the first time they tested our blood together. And this leads me to the other news, our upcoming marriage. 
If our results are positive, we plan an immediate wedding. We definitely want to do it before the baby is due in August. Actually, mom and dad, I'm not being serious with you. There was no accident, no doctor, no blood disease, no baby, and no wedding plans. I am getting a D in biology and a C in calculus, however, and I wanted you to receive this news in the proper perspective. Is that not awesome? She's just putting expectations to good use. Don't you agree? All of a sudden, the D doesn't sound quite so bad. C is fine. I'm good with that. Now, you all know, and you're laughing at the very point I'm making. It's so simple, it's almost ridiculous. But don't we get in trouble? In fact, can I get really personal with you? For some of you this morning, maybe all of you to some degree, there's a category of your life where there's a bit of sadness. You're a little disappointed, maybe a lot disappointed. Maybe you're a little depressed or disillusioned. And the reason is, is because at least for that category, you've not managed the expectation well. Maybe you're doing fine in all the other areas. You're a fairly well-adjusted person. But in that category, you're just sad. And I don't want to get too personal. I just want to, I just want to talk to you heart to heart a minute. It might be the marriage you thought you would have 20 years ago. It might have been the job spot that you would have at this station of your life. Your career, your, your 401k that's gone now. All I'm simply suggesting is For those of us that are even tenured in our life, we're seasoned veterans, life is still about managing our expectations well. And our happiness really depends on it. Let's go to another passage. If you turn backwards in the Old Testament to the book of Jonah for just a moment, I want to look at how Jonah responds to the the people of Nineveh and to God. I think Darren Whitehead actually talked about Jonah to you a few weeks ago. And if you remember, he talked about why Jonah would have been so angry about helping the people of Nineveh. I want to look at his response at the end of the story. You remember the story of Jonah, don't you? He's told to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. He's instructed by God, the creator, to do this. Instead of running to Nineveh, he runs from Nineveh. And he gets swallowed by this big fish. Remember the story? It's a fish story, okay? So it's a big one, all right? He finally gets spit out and he decides, I think I'll obey this time. Goes and preaches. And when he preaches, lo and behold the people of Nineveh actually respond. And they turn from their wicked ways, their sin, their rebellion, their their running from God, and they, they start running to him. Well, this does not make Jonah happy at all. And so in Jonah chapter four, uh, I want to pick up right where he's, he's getting very, very angry, and he's just sitting outside the city sulking over what's happened. Let's read together on the screens, Jonah chapter four, starting with verse five. It says, and Jonah went out and sat at the place, at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided a vine and made it to grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Notice the word happy there, okay? Keep reading. But at the dawn of the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, 
do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh compares Nineveh to the vine. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Now, I don't want to oversimplify this. You know Jonah had a, in, in terms of justice, Jonah had a good reason to be ticked off at these wicked, wicked people who all of their lives they turned away from God and now all of a sudden God's, he's going to bless them. But, but God uses an object lesson, doesn't he? This vine who grows up over Jonah didn't do it. He didn't water it, didn't cultivate it, didn't fertilize the soil, did nothing to grow the vine. The, God grew the vine, frankly, and then God took the vine away. It cometh and it goeth. Jonah is so ticked off, he wants to die. And by the way, it says he wants to die because of the heat and the lack of the vine. Not because of Nineveh. He may have still been mad at Nineveh, but it says he was mad at the lack of the vine, which wasn't even there two days earlier. You see where God's going with us, don't you? God's saying, hello, you do see what's happening here, don't you, Jonah? And I think as they interact, God's basically wanting to say, Jonah, I know these people are wicked. I made them. I'm grieving over their wickedness. They've run from me. But Jonah, let me clue you into something. You ran from me too. I had to have a whale swallow you to get you back on track. So whether you think it's a lot or a little, all of you deserve hell, frankly. I'm giving both of you heaven. I did it. You didn't. You need to adjust your expectations, not about what you're doing or not doing or your work or not... It's what I'm up to. And here and again lies the challenge. Jonah falls into the very same trap that you and I fall into. That our expectations about simple things like shade on a sunny day seem to determine our contentment, our satisfaction levels, our fulfillment in life. As I said earlier, our happiness. Jonah has an illusion of how things should be. He almost removes himself because, remember, he's run from God too. He knows this running thing just like the people in Nineveh do. But he's got this illusion of how life should be. And when God decides to show mercy and grace, he doesn't like it. Here's what I want you to capture. I had a longtime mentor share something with me that, um, that I think has changed my whole view of, of, of how I view happiness. Here's what he said. I just want you to throw, I want to lob this little phrase to you and I want you to just marinate on it my mentor friend said to me that our disillusionment in life is in direct, direct proportion to our illusionment in other words we can't really get disillusioned unless we have first been illusioned meaning we have some illusion about how life should be that life should be fair that I should be happy that my marriage partner should please me that the job market should afford great jobs and good paychecks to college graduates. All of these aren't really happening very much sometimes. Isn't this true? But you see, we have this illusion that it ought to be this way. Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. He actually said so, the maker of it. He said, by the way, it's going to be hard. And for some reason, we thought it would be easy. Where did we get this idea? I think we got this idea from our culture today. 
In fact, let me take a few minutes real quick, and I want to just give you a baseline from which I operate before I jump into some practical solutions to this, to this idea. I believe expectations work just like this. You and I um, are creatures of habit. Human beings, you would agree with me, wouldn't you, are creatures of habit. We have to build habits. In fact, we could not navigate our way through all the things that happen in any typical week without having habits in our life. The alarm goes off in the morning, we slam that clock radio, we get up, we shower, we eat breakfast, we brush our teeth, we have routines we don't even have to consciously think about. It's all moved to our subconscious. It's a routine, it's a rut that we need. Because we form these routines, we have certain expectations of how they should go. And the reason we do is all of this is pushed into our unconscious mind so we can handle all the surprises we need to consciously navigate. Does this make sense? In other words, you got enough coming at you that you didn't expect. You have to push the other stuff into this expectation picture that this is how it ought to look. Brushing my teeth should be very rapid. It's two minutes long. I should be out the door in two minutes. You actually think that sometimes. I got two minutes because the act of brushing your teeth is very, very simple. Now watch this. You have expectations because you need expectations. That's what I'm saying. And as I mentioned before, an expectation is simply a picture of how life should be. Our problem is, for any number of reasons, we bought into this unrealistic picture of how life should be. Do you know psychologists tell us that even as we age through life and get very experienced at all the negatives of life, we still carry a rather innocent and over-optimistic view of what should happen? Did you know that? Even though we tend to become grumpy old men, we still have this picture of what it ought to be. And I'm going to suggest, this is just me, that the media in our culture pushes expectations toward us. Doesn't it? You look at the average commercial on TV and it tells you how life ought to look like. You should have fresh breath. Your hair should look like this. Ladies, it's an hourglass figure, right? And by the way, it's chiseled and tan and shiny. Ladies, am I not right? You look at the average magazine. You know why the ladies look so good in the magazines? It's airbrushed. The ladies do not look like that. In fact, once in a while, you look at the National Enquirer on a newsstand and you see what they look like without makeup on. It's scary. Okay? It's not cosmos, it's chaos, okay? Now, all I'm simply saying is, when you know this, it helps you a little bit, but we have this, we're constantly being thrown about this expectation. You should have money. You should drive this. Men, I'll tell you what it is for us. It's artificial for us too. It's very difficult for, men, for many professional baseball players this season to play baseball at a professional level without performance-enhancing drugs. Are you watching the news right now? Many of the great players were questioning, is this real or is this artificial? Is this some steroid you're taking that makes you hit these home runs or whatever and we're about to see a landslide of suspensions come through in major league baseball here's the deal it used to be guys said you know what the talent i got is what i got i'm going to develop it as much as i can but i'm only going to hit 28 home runs not 58 home runs but no that's not enough and so we're okay with artificial lance armstrong the, the lance armstrong we found out not very long ago it's artificial he won all those races on a bike artificially now here's my point what has happened to us we have gotten an expectation about what it ought to look like that just is not real it's just not real now we can get mad or we can do whatever but 
I'm simply saying we've got to somehow navigate the two extremes of this unreal expectation over here with giving up on it all and saying, well, just forget the whole thing. I'll have no disappointments if I have no, if I have no expectations. Tanya Hurley is an author, and she wrote something very, very brilliant just a few, a few years ago. I want to read it to you. Here's what she said, and I thought it was very wise. She says this, if you expect nothing, you can never be disappointed. Apart from a few starry-eyed poets or monks living on a mountaintop somewhere, however, we all have expectations. We not only have them, we need them. To fuel, they fuel our dreams, our hopes, and our lives like, like some super caffeinated energy drink. The best solution then is to learn adaptability. Do you mind if I say that again? The best solution then is to learn adaptability. To be like a tree that can bend with the wind in a storm. We must balance possessing expectations, but also realize that a wonderful gift may not be wrapped as we expect. I'm going to give you a couple of metaphors that are not brilliant, but it's going to start a conversation. In fact, I hope this conversation goes on between you and your spouse, you and your family, you and a friend. I liken this whole balancing act that we have to strike to sailing. I think I've mentioned to you before, my, my brother-in-law and my niece are both avid sailors. They live in Southern California, and my niece actually sails competitively. But going out in a boat with them, I watch them every time. Notice I watch. I don't sail, I watch, okay? But when I watch them, what I don't see is them going out on the boat and saying, well, let's figure out which way the wind's blowing. We'll figure out where we're going to go today. They don't do that. They plan where they're going to go from point A to point B. However, the wind is blowing, sometimes contrary to where they want to go. So a good sailor adjusts the sails so that wherever the wind's blowing, it still takes him to his direction. Are you seeing what I'm saying? You're not changing your goal. You're not saying, forget heaven, forget God, forget Jesus. You're saying, I'm just going to, I'm going to take reality as it comes. I'm not going to say the wind is not blowing. The wind is not blowing. The wind is not blowing. It is blowing. And I'm not going to go, darn it, wind, why don't you cooperate with me? That's stupid. It will not cooperate with you yelling at it. But what you've got to do is say, I recognize the reality of the wind direction. And I'm going to adjust my sails so I can still get where I want to go. may not be as quick as I would like. If you're taking notes, that's Q-U-I-C-K. may not be as quick as I like. Or as easy, E-A-S-Y, as I'd like. But I'm still going. Somehow this seems healthy to me, doesn't it? I'm still happy along the way. There's a struggle, but the struggle makes me stronger. I'm good with that. I'm all right. In fact, I mentioned before at the beginning of this talk, airplanes and flying. I think the pilot is a great example of this. When I hop on a plane later this afternoon to go to Nebraska, the pilot's going to have a flight plan. He never goes up without a flight plan. In fact, he has to give that flight plan to the uh, air traffic controllers. In fact, his airline knows exactly what the flight plan is. But, am I not right? The beginning is all set. I mean, the takeoff is textbook. The landing is all set. It's textbook. But in between, there's a whole lot of adjustments, aren't there? There's currents and turbulence and everything else and different altitudes that give you a better ride. He is adjusting that flight all the way through. Only the beginning and ending are kind of set. The rest is a lot of adjustments. I'm just saying, I bet you that's how life is. The beginning and the end are kind of a God thing. <laughs> God puts you into this world. 
with the genes from your mom and dad, and he takes you out of this world and takes you on to heaven. But in between, our happiness is pretty much about managing expectations. How are you doing with that? Is there a category of your life that you'd say, I'm sad. I never say, never use that word, but I'm sad when it comes to that category. Is it possible that it's you, not God, that's at fault? Is it? Um, so I've never done this before, but I want to do this here. As I kind of wrap up, I'd like to give you a list of things. Um, it's actually my list, so you don't have to do this yourself. This is just me. It's I, Paul, not the Lord. But um, I am so struck by this simple, simple truth that life is pretty much about managing expectations that years ago, I put a little list of six items together that I now have hanging on my wall in my basement office at my house. These are my expectations that I feel like keep me balanced and in a real world, but yet still moving toward the dreams that I think God's put inside of me. So I still have hopes and faith, but I'm still... I'm not in la-la land, in naivety, thinking I'll be the next American Idol next summer, you know, or whatever. Here they are. Expectation number one, life is difficult. <laughs> I know you're told it should be easy and slick and smell good and taste good and you ought to lose 50 pounds in a week and everything else. Life is difficult. And the sooner we get to that beginning, life begins to be okay. I know it's not supposed to be fair. It isn't fair. You've said that to your children, have you not? Do you believe it yourself? It's not fair. It's not easy. It's difficult. In fact, I said before, Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Life is difficult. Number two, control is a myth. I still want to operate off the premise that I'm in control, and I have to remind myself I'm not in control. It's a myth. In fact, only he really is in control. The rest of it is a lot of well, the rest of it's a lot of dancing. Dancing with expectations, with people, with jobs, with, with a whole lot of things. And there's a give and a take. I'm, I, I have some control. I have some responsibility, but, but I'm not in full control. It's a myth. And the sooner I come to that realization and expectation, I'm going to live a better life. Number three, it's not about me. Oh, how I wish it were, but it's not about me. I wish I were the sun and all of you were planets revolving around me. But it doesn't work that way. Do I sound like I'm talking to teenagers right now? I'm telling you, I know you're, you're a mature adult, but can I just say it out loud? Maybe you need to put this on your bathroom mirror, and when you brush your hair every day, you look at the statement. It's not about me. There's always something bigger going on, and you're a part of the story, but you may not be the star. God's put you in this story, his story, history, but it's not about you. Number four. Things will change. I started with this very thought that I just got to expect that the only constant in life is change. It's kind of an oxymoron. So I just need to know that whatever I plan, I probably need to get ready for change. There's going to be turbulence during the flight. Number five, I want you to catch this one. No one can make me happy. Now, I know that sounds very weird because we're constantly talking about, she makes me happy, he makes me, at wedding altars, we go to weddings with, you make me so happy. That is not true. Um, I remember once doing a Q&A session and we were, I was talking to parents about kids, actually, and my wife's in the front row and someone asked me if Pam, my wife, makes me happy. I said, no, she does not. There was a gasp in the audience. 
I think she even gasped. But we both laughed when I gave the answer because we talked about this many, many times. If I'm expecting her as a single human being to make me happy, I'm asking way too much of a human being. Am I not right? No human being can make me happy. By the way, no one can make me angry. They can foster it, but I choose by default or design to be angry. So listen to me. If you're asking a marriage partner or a boss or a job to make you happy, I'm sorry. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. No one can make you happy. It's a choice you make along the way. One more. The last one is simply this. I must live with the end in mind. I must live with the end in mind. Do you remember a few weeks ago my unforgettable truth was the further out I can see, the better the decision I make today? I'm simply suggesting that if I'm living moment by moment, as I eat my lunch, as I talk with my friends, whatever I do, but I do it with the end in mind, I tend to have a happier life. I tend to make better decisions. I tend to remain balanced and adjusted and and less needy. So that's simply my six. Now, here's how I want to wrap this up. I want to close by sharing with you three simple words that I think will help you navigate expectations. Remember the premise. When it comes to our happiness, life is pretty much about managing expectations. Did you ever stop and notice that probably the greatest writer of the Bible, the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote more books than any other single person, in the Bible, sat in a Roman prison writing to the Philippian church and he said, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. And he was in prison at the time. He said, I've learned to live with much and I've learned to live with little. Amazing. Paul would say, I can, I've learned to live on a dollar a day like those impoverished nations and I've learned to live in Plymouth, Michigan pretty well, which is easier. Here's the point. The guy that wrote that also wrote this. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he simply said, with food and with covering, with these, I shall be content. Meaning, my expectation line is food and covering. Everything else is just icing on the cake. It's a cherry and whipped cream and and chocolate syrup on the ice cream. It's all bonus. May I ask you a question? Where's your line? Is your line so high that you gotta have 45 things to be happy, 450 things to be happy? Or would you say, mm, life's a bonus. Already it's a bonus. I have diabetes. I got it in 1980. I'm not supposed to be with you today. When I first got it, they said, you have about 20 years. At the time, that's about what they expected. You know what I'm thinking? I'm loving being with you guys today. It's all a bonus. It's all a bonus. Now, Absolutely. And some of you would have the same story, wouldn't you? Some of you have fought diseases and you think, man, I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to be vertical, not horizontal right now, right? So three more words and I'll let you go. Number one, simple word, but write down the word realism. We've got to be realist. And you know that's somewhere between ideal and cynical, okay? And by realism, I simply mean we need to draw a realistic line of expectations, And I'm asking you, where's your contentment line? I'd like to give you an assignment. Sometime when you can get alone for about 30 to 60 minutes, just on a pad of paper or on a laptop, write out what's your contentment line. What is it that you have to have to be content? Really. Number two, adaptability. I've already mentioned this, so I'm going to be quick. 
But by adaptability, I simply mean we've got to learn to flex like a sailor, like a pilot, like a tree that's blown in the wind, but it bends, it doesn't break. We've got to be flexible and adapt. What we calculate on the expectation side has everything to do with that. And then finally, the last word, balance. We need to balance not surrendering our high hopes on one end. We're not done with our life yet, and God has big dreams for us. But on the other hand, we need to make sure that we don't just have them so high we can't reach them. In fact, that leads me to my final little nugget. Every one of you in here today need to recognize something, but I especially want to talk to you people that might say, I'm kind of spiritually new at this. You see, for some of you, you've been in church all your life. You've only known a life with God. For many of you, this God thing, it's kind of new. You've not memorized the Bible. You've only been in church limited amounts of time. And I want to say that I believe inside of every one of our spirits, you see, you live in a body, you're housed in a body, but the real you is a spirit on the inside. In your spirit, the Bible teaches us that God has set eternity inside, meaning there is an expectation God put inside of you for heaven. And one of the reasons you feel this longing for something better, your disappointment with life on earth is you were built for something better. Isn't that great news? You weren't built for earth. Your body's going to flake and die one day. In fact, some of you, it's flaking right now, isn't it? You're falling asleep on me, okay? So listen to me. You were built for something. It's no wonder you have this lingering disappointment. It isn't just that life hasn't been very good. It's that God built you and put eternity in your heart. There's a hole that only he can fill. Boats can't fill it. Cabins for the summer can't fill it. Nothing can fill it. And I'm just going to ask you today, whether you are a Christ follower or you're kind of new at this, might this expectation thing be about you putting the right thing or really the right person in that hole. So I'm going to pray two prayers. The first prayer I'm going to pray is about everything I just talked to you about. I'm going to pray that God enables you to begin to manage these expectations well. But I'm going to pray a second prayer really quickly for all of you in here today that would say, I'd love for you to help me, Tim, put Jesus where I need to put him. It's going to mean you, in a simple act of prayer, stepping over a line of faith from I'm just going to church and I'm remaining anonymous to I'm inviting Christ to come into my life, to be my personal Savior and Lord. And then he becomes the filler of that expectation that I wanted my spouse or a friend or a job to fill, and they can't. So if that's you in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going to pray a prayer phrase by phrase. And if the phrases express the desire of your heart, I want you just to, in your own words, pray along with me. Let's bow. Father, first of all, I want to pray for everyone in this room. I'm asking that in, in light of this simple truth, you would enable us to manage well our expectations. Help us, God, to see what you see and to be relentless on pursuing what we're supposed to pursue. But God, at the same time, help us to remain content, happy, because along the way, we didn't expect it to be quick or easy. We didn't expect it to come with a lot. I'm just asking now, Lord, that this week, you would help us put our finger on those things that we have not managed well.
And Lord, do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Equip us, enable us to manage those expectations. And now with your heads bowed, I want to pray that second prayer I mentioned. If you'd love to invite Christ into your life, I just want to lead you in a prayer right now. Pray this phrase by phrase with me. Dear Lord, I do feel that hole inside of me. I know that I've tried to put things in that hole and they don't fill it. God, right now, I'm asking for you, my creator, to come into my life. I'm asking to be my personal savior and Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to the cross to die for my sins. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. God, now, I depend on you, not my expectations, for contentment. Thank you for the gift of everlasting life with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, can I just say congratulations, best decision you'll ever make the rest of your life. I always say that, but I mean it. And in your program, one more thing, if you just prayed that prayer, there's a little flap that we call a connection card if you would just fill that, that um, little content out, at the bottom there's an orange ribbon that simply says, I prayed today to receive Christ into my life. And then if you'll just tear that off, what we'd like you to do is on your way out, there's a little box right next to the doors on the way out. Just pop it in one of those boxes. There's a little slot. We'd love to follow up and help you get started in this relationship with Jesus. Now, we've talked about baptism. Pastor Brad talked about baptism. If you're interested in being baptized, uh, talk to the folks at the table out in the lobby. Get signed up August 24th. It's going to be an incredible day. I love you all. Have a great week. God bless you.